Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. Going to be a different kind of show today. Not going to really touch on sports much at all. Not going to touch on specific uh, details in that arena. We'll get back to that probably tomorrow. But it is a chaotic day. Uh, It is a tumultuous day. It is a day beset with turmoil and tension. And I'm going to walk you through the country as I see it today and try to make sense of it all, okay? Uh, As I begin with a preliminary, those of you who watch me for years know that I'm a history buff. And I think one of the challenges of today is we've lost touch with all of American history and I'm going to explain this and I'm going to try to make a cohesive and total narrative that makes sense of where we are right now and also hopefully gives you some optimism going forward even if there are very few people who want to be optimistic in general. So let's start here. One of the major challenges that I believe we are facing as a country today is we have gone back in time to the 18th and the 19th century. And we have done that with all of the aspects of 21st century technology which did not exist in the 18th and 19th century. So let me say this right off the top. I believe Joe Biden won the 2020 election. There are all different sorts of parameters involved in winning any election In 2016, Donald Trump won by around 70,000 votes. In 2020, Joe Biden is going to win by around 40,000 votes. Okay? All of this started really in 2016 which I believe was the first full fruition of a social media era driven presidential campaign. In 2016, the Democrats nominated Hillary Clinton the most disliked Democratic presidential nominee of all time and the Republicans nominated Donald Trump the most disliked Republican presidential nominee of all time and they ran against each other. Why did that happen? Why did we end up in 2016 with the two most disliked people who have ever been nominated by a major political party running against each other? Why did that happen? I think a big part of it is social media. And if you think about the way that social media has changed American discourse what it has led to very often I believe is a complete repudiation of the eras of politics that tended to characterize most of our youths. And let me explain what I mean. It used to be whether you were a Democrat or a Republican you thought about picking someone that you hoped the most people would like. Whether you liked Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, Al Gore, John Kerry, Ronald Reagan, Jimmy Carter, all throughout the television age, much of what occurred in America was 
if you were a Democrat, you nominated somebody that you hoped Republicans might be interested in voting for. If you were a Republican, you nominated somebody that you hoped Democrats might be interested in voting for. What social media has done, it has flipped everything on its side. Now what you do, very often, is you nominate someone who makes the other side the most angry. That's really the essence of what Donald Trump represents for many people. As I have said for a long time, Trump is an inarticulate voice for a national conversation that needs to happen but for many people, he is a troll in chief. I voted for Donald Trump in 2020. In 2016, I voted for Gary Johnson because I didn't like the options between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. To me, what occurred when Donald Trump won and I think very likely the same thing might have occurred if Hillary Clinton had won was the Democrats essentially said we refuse to acknowledge Donald Trump as a legitimate president of the United States and from the moment that he was announced as president they began to spread the idea that Russia was the reason that he was there that there had been vast conspiracies and collusions that somehow a foreign government had led to the election of Donald Trump. Investigations have ensued for years that have proven that that was not true yet even still up into this year itself the Democratic Party was impeaching Donald Trump and trying to remove him from office for what they considered to be high crimes and misdemeanors acts that did not justify him remaining president. So that went on for four years. Then you have an election that is going to be decided by around 40,000 votes. And for people who don't understand what I'm talking about there 10,000 votes in Arizona around 12,000 votes in Georgia and around 20,000 votes in Wisconsin. If you flip 21,000 people's vote around the number of people that would go watch a hockey game or an NBA game or a big college basketball game if you flipped 21,000 people's vote in a country of 300 million plus the entire election changes Donald Trump ties in the Electoral College and the House of Representatives is going to end up selecting the President and it would have been Donald Trump. So we're talking about 21,000 votes determining again you flip that outcome 41,000-ish votes overall who was elected President. And then you add in what I think has been and I've been writing about for a long time a big flaw of American democracy is many of these states took a week to actually count their votes and the people who were in the lead Donald Trump ended up being taken over as the vote counting continued for a week after week day after day. And that made people feel that the fix was in and that there was in fact someone being elected who had not gotten the majority of the votes in those dispositive states. Now On top of that there has been a great sorting in this country where many people now are surrounded by people who think exactly like they do. There are relatively few states that are actually up for grabs in our electoral college. You can check off a lot of them right at the start. And so all of this has created an incredible amount of turmoil, tempest and absolute boiling point rhetoric out there and I think it's all directly tied in to social media. 
Social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of them have radicalized a huge percentage of the American population not only to become convinced that their side is 100% right but they have radicalized us to believe that the other side is 100% wrong. And when you believe that you are 100% right and someone else is 100% wrong then the next step that often follows is violence. My 12-year-old texted me about 30 minutes ago as he was watching the news Dad, are we going to have another civil war? And that is a question that on its face sounds ridiculous but yet I think there are people out there who have the same fear that he does. Let me give you a little bit of a walkthrough historically and explain how we've arrived in my opinion at this powder keg moment in American society. Benjamin Franklin said passion governs and she never governs wisely. Abraham Lincoln would write letters to people who had angered him when he was president and he would instead of sending those letters out put them in his desk leave them there for potentially several days go back and reread them and most of the time he found that he didn't send them. Passion and emotion are often and almost always the enemy of logic and rational thought. And it used to be in this country that we had rational people with large audiences. And this is the era we all grew up in. And again, I want to reemphasize if you study media in American history which I have loved to do. I run a media company so I think about this a lot way more. I'm a nerd than your average person would. American journalism has a history of being intensely partisan and downright awful to its opposition. If you go read what was said about Andrew Jackson or Abraham Lincoln or Benjamin Franklin any of these guys back in the day the press was incredibly partisan. Political parties owned their own methods of distribution newspapers, pamphlets. The way that the written word was distributed in America was incredibly biased. Parties helped to get their message out through the written word and they literally owned newspapers. As we move through the 17th and 18th centuries part of the benefit that we had that kept everything from going crazy and haywire in this country was we had so much land that people were often separated by substantial amounts of distance and they were so worried about furthering their own economic interests that they weren't as concerned about political issues. And what happened is as we began to have more of an educated class newspapers like the New York Times rose up and said we're going to serve everybody and we're going to be completely without partisan or bias. And now those same journalistic organizations try to hold that up as a steward of virtue and I'm going to get to that in a moment. But the reason that that existed in the first place was not for some high uh, magnitude interest. It was about money. You could sell a lot more newspapers to people if you claimed that you were not affiliated with any particular party. 
your audience was more substantial because you could sell to everybody instead of a small tiny subset of the population. And for most of our lives that was the era we lived in where advertisers wanted to reach the largest possible audience. And if you think about the evolution of American media what you saw was newspapers that were trying to speak to everybody in a neutral voice without taking sides led to radio which requires that every political persuasion be handled and you're talking to the broadest possible audience which eventually led to television and if you're as old as I am you remember an era when you only had a few channels on television and everybody had to be entertained by what was on that television dial. And you had shows like Family Ties and The Cosby Show Growing Pains shows that were blandly inoffensive a little bit funny but could appeal to a 6-year-old and to an 86-year-old. Everybody was being spoken to and it was a relatively moderate discourse. But then what happened? We went back to the future. See what happened was cable arose and all of the different splintering of the American audience began to take place. And so you started to get people who were being sliced and diced by the niche upon which they were being served. And as that started to happen you also then led into the rise of the internet. And suddenly instead of having to appeal to everyone everybody had their own specific niche. And now we've taken it to the next level. Now we have newspapers which are not funded primarily by advertisements anymore. They are now funded by subscriptions. And whoever those subscribers are they want to see their vision of the world reflected in what they pay for. Instead of a newspaper like the New York Times trying to play it straight down the middle now they are trying to make their subscribers happy. And what ends up happening is an overall collapse of a large national discourse and the biggest loss is an idea of common facts. Okay? This is what I really focus on a lot because it's what scares me the most in America. We have lost our ability to disagree based upon a common set of facts. That's what the law typically is. Right? This is me putting on my lawyer's hat. As you move up in argument in front of judges you move from factual disputes to an agreement upon which the facts are. Juries typically determine what facts are and judges determine what the law is. And when you have an intellectual discourse on a high level you may agree what the facts are but you disagree with how to make those situations better. And that's what our politics used to be. Now we have such different and discordant perspectives being brought to bear that it's almost like the Tower of Babel example where everybody is starting to speak different languages. And those languages are being exploited through what I believe are the twin cancers of identity politics and cancel culture. People want to slice and dice you into things that you don't control. You're a man. You're a woman. You're black, you're white, you're Asian, Hispanic they're telling you that that means something when to me it's one of the least interesting things about you. I'm interested in the choices people make of their own free will 
not how they were born. Instead, we're being sliced and diced up into all these different identities and groups and they're being pitted against each other. And this is where social media has added the kerosene to what was already a big fire of everybody spreading out and having their own view of the world. There are fundamentally different worldviews every single day. It's why I still get old school newspapers and read the New York Times and read the Wall Street Journal every day. If you read the editorial page of the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal you will recognize there are very many different ways to see the world on a day-to-day basis. The challenge for an intelligent mind is not deciding that one is 100% right or 100% wrong. It's being able to reconcile dueling opinions figure out what the facts are and work forward on them. Now for a long time people said that this was going to be like 1968 in our country and I rejected that analogy because I didn't believe that there was a crisis in play. 1968 we were in the middle of the Vietnam War there were riots there were all sorts of tumult in the streets and for a long time America was rolling even if you didn't like Donald Trump and then COVID happened and COVID to me combined with social media exacerbated all the tensions that already existed and created even more of a fundamental disconnect between what is true what is false what is real and what is artificial. And the media has not helped that because unlike in the 1960s when we still had television networks trying to appeal to everyone there is no Walter Cronkite in our modern America. If you study history when Walter Cronkite finally said the Vietnam War is not working it was a seminal moment because Americans trusted him to tell them the truth. Not to tell them what they want to hear to tell them the truth. We have a lot of people in media every single day who tell their audience exactly what they want to hear not what the truth is. And you can study it on so many different levels. I understand the anger. I understand the passion. I understand the fear. I understand the desire to be emotional but I want you to think about this for a minute. Think about the difference between Abraham Lincoln writing a letter and sitting on it for a couple of days before he allowed it to move out into discourse compared with every single one of us having a phone and being able to instantaneously say exactly what we're feeling. We don't have a world of facts anymore. We have a world of anecdotes. Whatever you believe as crazy as it may be there is someone on social media who will tell you that what you believe is true. There is even more than that evidence that what you believe is true. It's anecdotal. It's not larger data sets. It's tiny little anecdotes. And all day long every day on social media People find anecdotes that justify their worldview and they share them and they propagate further differences. Now, this is, I think, why social media is such a cancer in our country. Because social media is predicated, their entire business model is predicated on connecting to yours and mine's emotions. Not our logic, not our rational thought, 
but our emotions because we share stories that strike us by and large emotionally more than logically. And if you go and look at everything that goes viral on the internet just about it's driven by emotion. And Donald Trump as I said is an inarticulate voice for our national conversation. His entire presidential campaign is based on his ability to connect with that national id to know what people care about and not to try and reach 60% of the population but to try to win just one more vote than he needs. I had a conversation recently with somebody and I said hey do you think we'll ever have a president who has a 60% approval rating again? Still means 40% of people disagree with him. But if you look back historically it's no coincidence that in the 1950s Dwight Eisenhower had a 90% approval rating. Do you know why? Because the media was different then. And if you go back and you study American history what you are seeing is what I would call a great splintering. And I think what we are missing as a part of this is we are fighting with each other. We are throwing haymakers at each other every day in the streets holding placards, yelling at each other, pulling out our phones, thinking the worst of one another. And do you know who is exploiting that division and laughing all the way to the bank? China. We're in a new Cold War with a country that is a communist dictatorship and doesn't allow a single negative word to be said about their leaders or about the decisions of their country. They censor it all. When the virus arose in Wuhan they made the decision not to allow their people to criticize the fact that China was slow on the draw and allowed this virus to escape maybe according to a recent article that's fascinating to read in New York Magazine directly from a lab. This is a man-made virus. There's a very strong Uh, supposition if you read all of the different data and analysis we still don't know because we haven't had a full level investigation. But as the Chinese people reacted angrily at their government rather than allow that to grow China censored it. They put people who were too negative about the coronavirus into prison. They lied about how common it was. They lied about how many people died. And now their economy is poised to grow the most in 2020 of any country in the world because they unleashed this pandemic on us and Western democracies which are predicated on the idea of antagonistic ideas and the marketplace of ideas and ending up with the best possible result solve issues differently because we have the First Amendment and because we have basic human rights. And we've got a lot of people in American media and in this country in general carrying water for China while China is stowing, stewing all of the brewing fights that exist across this country stoking it and enjoying it because it's tearing down American values and American institutions while at the same time China is rising. When I was a kid we knew we were in the Cold War with Russia. We knew what was going on. That it was a battle for the future of the free world. Reagan showed up and said tear down this wall Mr. Gorbachev in Berlin. And in 1989 the wall came down and the belief was that America had won and capitalistic democracies were going to spread around the world. But what's happened is since that time China has risen up 
and is a global challenger for America and one reason why I've talked about this so much in the world of sports and I've been so frustrated with the NBA is make no mistake China has moved from having its own rules in place inside of China to now arguing that Chinese values should dominate around the world. That their form of authoritarian communism that their form of modern day concentration camps that shutting down Hong Kong the Chinese Sea going after Taiwan that that is the future of the world. And we haven't been battling them in the global marketplace of ideas because we have been so busy fighting with each other. Now I voted for Trump because I believed he was the hardest of any candidate on China. I hope I'm wrong. I hope Joe Biden gets into office and I hope he goes after China with double barrels as hard as he possibly can. I'm skeptical that he will for a variety of reasons. But what all Americans regardless of your political party need to start doing is spending less time on your phones. Less time getting out there and getting on and saying anything on social media that may or may not be true and spending more time in the real world. Less time in what I call the carnival funhouse mirror of social media where it's impossible to tell what's true and what's false and you can stand in front of a mirror in a carnival and if you look at it you may think you're super fat or you might think you're super tall or you might think you're super skinny but it's not a real world reflection of actual life. It's a distorted carnival funhouse mirror. And right now American policy decisions are being made based on the carnival funhouse mirror that is social media. And all of these companies are making billions of dollars stoking our discord, our animus, our anger, our emotional fears and turning them into ways to make money. And they're doing it on a very targeted and niche basis. There is no Walter Cronkite right now in the country. There's no one that is particularly trustworthy in a high position of power that I have come across. Everybody has flaws. Trump was way too loose with many of his facts which ended up not being true. It's why I said he's an inarticulate version for a national conversation we needed to have. I think his end result was the right place sometimes but I don't think the logic by which he got there was rational. And a lot of what Joe Biden is saying and a lot of what the media that is covering for Joe Biden is saying is fundamentally untrue. I mean guys we had a clear story from the New York Post one of the oldest newspapers in the entire country about alleged improprieties of Hunter Biden that Twitter didn't allow to be shared even though it's since been proven to be true. We have a world where if something threatens your existing worldview you label it disinformation and refuse to even consider that it might be true or it might be accurate. We have a world where Brett Kavanaugh can nearly lose his Supreme Court seat over allegations of a teenage girl that there's no evidence he ever met and even if he had ever met her it would not be a sexual assault but the media says there's no basis whatsoever in covering Joe Biden's alleged sexual assault allegations involving an own employee of his when he was an adult. The standards by which we govern are failing 
And that is why some people get mad at me because I think about all of my opinions and I'm far from perfect as the equivalent of being a judge sports or otherwise. You have to be able to make a decision that makes sense for the current facts but also will make sense for the future facts. We have to treat everybody the same. That's the entire basis upon which our justice system is founded. Is it imperfect? Yes. It's made by men. Was it biased in past history against race and gender? Yes. But the way to solve and bring equality to the country is not by furthering the pendulum of imbalance in order to bring justice in the present day. It's by ending all preferential treatment and applying the law evenly to everyone regardless of your race, your gender, your creed, your nationality. I want to leave you with a couple of ideas here. I said I wasn't going to talk about sports but this is a metaphor that has made sense to me for some time. When I started doing sports talk radio I found that I talked a lot about Southeastern Conference football which is, I believe, the single most passionate fan base that exists anywhere in the country for any sport. SEC football is more important than religion. It's more important than economics. It's the most important thing to many people in the South. And what I found when I started doing radio was I would say, okay, Alabama has been accused of paying players. And immediately, do you know what would happen? Auburn and Tennessee fans would say, oh, of course they did. That's what Alabama does. They pay players. And the same thing, by the way, would occur if Auburn was accused of paying players or if Tennessee was accused of paying players. Although if you follow college football, if Tennessee's paying players, they've been getting a lot of bad buys lately. But what I would say is, I'd say, hey, guys, take a step back. Everybody's a fan of an SEC team. I grew up a University of Tennessee fan. I said, the test of your bias is to ask this question. Presume that your most hated rival had done something and then presume that your school had done the same thing how would you respond to those allegations? If your response is not the exact same that is evidence of your bias and all of us have biases. The best way to adjust your bias is by trying to treat everyone equally and by seeing whether or not the logic upon which you are basing your response is the same no matter who the person is involved. And what I often found was when you asked people to think about it from that perspective from SEC football their opinions changed dramatically. If their school was accused of something they would make excuses and they didn't think it was very serious. If their rival school was accused of something they immediately believed it and they thought it was very significant. That's what our politics does today. What reasonable and rational people have to do what I have always called myself as a radical moderate I'm open to voting for Republicans I'm open to voting for Democrats. We need more people who are willing to call a spade a spade. Look at the evidence apply rules evenly regardless of the situation at stake and regardless of the passions of the moment and end up making a ruling and an opinion that connects across all political parties all races all genders all ethnicities. People get mad at me because I don't buy into identity politics. 
I don't want to treat anybody different based on their race or their gender. I want to treat everybody the same. And for people out there who are convinced like my son was, I said earlier, he asked, Dad, are we going to have another civil war? Violence of all kinds is to be condemned. You do not end up with a better result through violence. Whether you're a Democrat, whether you're a Republican, or whether you're an Independent. The most successful protest of all time, which should be studied, more so than it is in schools, is the Civil Rights Movement. Predicated on Mahatma Gandhi, the study Martin Luther King Jr. put into the Indian nonviolent protest. Why it worked so well was it illuminated the alarming disconnect between the character, charisma, audacity, and honesty of civil rights protesters and those who would deny them their basic humanity. The reason why it worked was the yawning gap between violent opposition to protest and nonviolent protesters. The civil rights movement is the most successful protest in American history. And it didn't involve violence, by and large. Okay? For people out there who are terrified, and I know there are a lot of people who are scared. I know there are people who are scared because now the Senate's 50-50 and we've got another basically even election and we're probably going to have another... Nothing has changed. The fever pitch has not been dialed down. What I would point out to you is study history, spend less time in the present, more time in the past. If you do that, you will recognize that American passions burn bright but that ultimately the arc of moral justice bends towards righteousness in this country. We had an election in the middle of the Civil War in 1864. Abraham Lincoln had to get elected, re-elected. He was running against George Brenton McClellan, the former general in charge of his armies. If McClellan had won, the Civil War would have ceased and we would not have formed a more perfect union. We had an election in the middle of World War II. If FDR had lost, it's possible that we would not have continued to pour forth all of the effort on dominating the Nazis. Those elections matter a massive amount. Everyone wants to tell you that every election is the most important one of your life. It oftentimes is not the case that it is. We are in tumultuous times right now. But ultimately, we're going to get through COVID and things are going to get much better sooner rather than later. I hope that Joe Biden decides to try to govern right smack dab down the middle. I hope that probably only being a one-term president he can work over the next four years to dial down all of the bile and vitriol that exists in this country. But one of the things that we're going to have to do is learn how to live in this fractured media marketplace. And we're going to have to figure out How do we reconcile our current existing institutions with the destructive forces that are being brought to bear on social media every day? Social media rewards emotion, not thought. Anger, not logic. That is not a recipe for successful American democracy. We have to figure out how to solve our national discourse and have to return to a common set of facts upon which we can disagree, 
constructively while making decisions that are in the betterment of our country. I don't consider myself to be a Democrat. I don't consider myself to be a Republican. I want Joe Biden to do well just like I wanted Donald Trump to do well. That upsets some of you. I'm never going to root against the President of the United States because if he fails, our country fails. That used to be a common ideal. Now, it's become the case that you root against the people that you dislike actually achieving any level of success at all. I fundamentally reject it as anti-American. So good luck to the next President of the United States, Joe Biden. I would encourage all of you to take a moment, just a moment, before you send a tweet, and I would encourage myself to think this as well, and contemplate whether or not you are furthering the discourse in the country or creating an emotional firepoint which may not have any substance or legitimacy behind it. Facts matter. They've never mattered more. And the one thing that I will promise to all of you from the bottom of my heart is I am going to try every single day to get my facts right and try to bring more people together as opposed to tearing them apart. That's ultimately why I'm in the world of sports even though we just talked about a lot of things that don't involve sports. We need more issues of connectivity in this country. Places that bring us together. I'm going to go watch the Titans play against the Ravens on Sunday. I hope we beat the crap out of the Ravens. And if we do, even in a socially distant stadium, I'm going to turn around and celebrate with the fans around me. I won't care who they voted for president for. I won't care who they love. I won't care about anything in their lives other than our common love for one football team that is bringing us together. We need to think like that as Americans as opposed to members of political parties. And I know I always have and I know I always will have about equal numbers of friends who vote Democrat and about equal numbers of friends who vote Republican. And I think that's healthy and I think you should be doing the same. Because if you step out of social media, what you find time after time after time is we all have a lot more in common than we do different. And if you're angry, somebody else is probably just as angry on the other side. But guess what? You probably have a lot in common, way more than you think. All right. I hope this helped out a little bit. My name is Clay Travis. You're not familiar with me. I do a three-hour daily radio show, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, nationwide, 350 affiliates. I run a website called Outkick. Uh, where we try and make the world a little bit better and a little bit more fun of a place every single day. I believe 100% in the First Amendment and also in boobs to unite the country. I am Clay Travis. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. I hope this helps a little bit. Violence is never the answer. No matter what your motivation is, we don't need any more largely peaceful protesters on the Democrat or the Republican side. We need to all come together and start to kick China's ass because they're beating the crap out of us and most of us aren't even, no- aren't even noticing. Thank you. See y'all.